Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio, WFMP Louisville, broadcasting to you from the historic Hayburn Building at 106.5 FM. And, of course, we live stream anywhere you are in the world. Maybe you're taking a summer vacation right now. Like I just got off of, I could have tuned into Ford Radio from uh, well, probably not the Boundary Waters. There's no, there's no Wi-Fi out there. But anywhere else you've got Wi-Fi, you can check us out at FordRadio.org, uh, and that's also the place to go to become a part of this community. We built this station for you, the people, uh, and we want your voices behind these microphones and your ideas helping run the station. You can get involved at FordRadio.org. Just click on participate, uh, and maybe you don't have the time to volunteer, but you've got a few bucks to chip in to help keep us on the air. That's how we sustain this great community resource and making media that matters with our community. We do it by your contributions. It only takes $20 a day to keep this whole station running. So go to FordRadio.org, click donate today and become a part of the station. Uh, well, what we do on sustainability now is bring in folks to the studio from around the community who are doing on and reporting on work in sustainability. And I am just so excited to get a new friend in the studio with me. Connor Giffen is here. Welcome, Connor. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Connor is our new environmental reporter for the Courier Journal um, and also a Report for America Corps member. We will talk about that program today and discuss some of the environmental issues that Connor's already been reporting and things we might want to report on. And he's going to pick my brain today and turn the microphones on me. I think that's great and we're going to have fun. So I hope you sit back, relax and enjoy this conversation. Um, Connor, so before you tell us about yourself, tell us about your position as environmental reporter for Courier Journal. Are you replacing someone or how does that work? Yeah, so Report for America is a great program. It's a national service program that uh, places journalists all over the country. Uh, it started just a few years ago with a handful of journalists and now has grown to hundreds of core members. Um, wow. Their goal is to place journalists like myself in communities where there's an underserved uh, issue or maybe an area of coverage that's not getting enough attention. Uh -huh. And uh, so I'm here in Louisville to give some attention to the environment. Okay. And you just started June 1st, right? That's right. And well, welcome to Louisville. It's great to have you here. Uh, and tell us about yourself. Where'd you come from and what's your background in environmental reporting? Yeah, so just in May, I graduated from my undergrad at the University of Missouri uh, with a degree in journalism and a minor in political science. While I was there, I had maybe a cumulative two years of internship experience. Okay. Uh, I covered some environment during that, also business, uh, state government. Uh, public health and safety, lots of different areas. And uh, during that time, I, I realized environment was really what struck my interest the most. Yeah. And so when I graduated and was looking for uh, a position outside of college, uh, environment was where my uh, attention went. And uh, I was really fortunate to get this Report for America position. Um, but it's also a position through what's called the Mississippi River Basin Ag and Water Desk. Uh, this is a new initiative, just started. This is our first year doing this. Um, and there's 10 newsrooms involved. So really? Louisville's Courier Journal is one of 10 newsrooms. And then we also have other newsrooms that participate. But the goal of this is to focus on agriculture and water issues that uh, 
are common across the Mississippi River Basin. Of course, Louisville on the Ohio River as a tributary to the Mississippi is involved in that. Um, and there are a lot of issues in common. So they, they got us all together and we are uh, kind of a reporting collaborative trying to share stories across this network and kind of report on common issues that are so uh, interrelated. Oh, wow. What are some other cities where people are located doing that work? Yeah, we've got people all over from uh, Minneapolis up north down to New Orleans uh, really? near the Gulf. Um, wow. there, we've got a reporter down in, in Memphis at the Daily Memphian. We've, we've got reporters all up and down north to south. Oh, wow. So is that something where all the stories are compiled in one place online, too? I think they're still trying to figure out yeah. how that's okay. going to work. Um, <laughs> they are uh, using a, a way of kind of sharing stories to newsrooms. So if, if I run a story here at the Courier-Journal that's relevant to the audience down in Memphis, uh, the Daily Memphian can easily pick that up and run it for their audience. And so we try to share content with uh, as many newsrooms as we can to kind of share share information and help, help our audiences uh, understand these issues. Yeah. Because water connects us all, right? It really does. It's, it's everything. It's life. <laughs> you know, I, as I was mentioning at the top, I just spent a bunch of time in northern Minnesota. Kind of, I wasn't quite at Lake Itasca, the headwaters of the Mississippi, but I was in that region and, and traveling back on the train across the Mississippi many times. So water is just really in my brain right now as that as that vital life force that does sort of connect us all and pollution travels via water. So when we uh, make the mistake of polluting our water right here in Louisville or on the Ohio, it's, it, as you say, it's going to affect folks down in Memphis and New Orleans, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and anything we put even in the smallest waterway here in Louisville eventually ends up in the Ohio, which ends up in the Mississippi, which eventually drains into the Gulf of Mexico. So of course, everything is connected. And that's, that's a big uh, centerpiece for why this initiative is uh, happening. Yeah. And of course, that's that's been a lot of what you've been reporting on as you sort of hit the ground. But before we dive into your some of your initial reporting on these issues, I mean, what are your first impressions of coming to Louisville and, and jumping into environmental coverage here? Yeah, well, I, I love the city. Uh, there's lots of people here who are really invested in the environment, who are doing really good work uh, with the environment. Um, and it's been great getting to know people and uh, hearing people's stories. I've gotten lots of feedback from readers. One of the first things I did when I got to town was kind of write a piece introducing myself and uh, asking people to tell me what's happening in your neighborhood, what, what's gone undercovered. Um, uh, by the Courier Journal, since our, our Jim Bruggers, of course, was our environmental reporter, my predecessor, um, and we had some years of absence, and so I wanted to hear from people. What, yeah. what do you want to see in your in your local paper? And I got a lot of feedback, a lot of really helpful ideas. Oh wow! Um, really good stuff, and hopefully, hopefully, that'll help me kind of guide guide where my reporting goes. Well, I'm curious to know if there's been any themes to that feedback so far. Are there anything's rising to the top that people really think should be reported on more? Yeah, I, I, all across the board, water quality, air quality, corporate responsibility, oh. everything you can think of, really. And one, one trend I have noticed from a few of these responses is people don't want to be told what they can do individually, but right. rather what what can be done at a corporate or maybe level of the policymaker um, to make uh, bigger changes. That's something a lot of people want to see more coverage of and less coverage of here's what you're doing wrong as an individual and maybe what can we do on a more systemic level? Yeah, <laughs> I, I understand why that people people don't like to be uh, have their finger po pointed at them by the green police, right? right. Like that's not right. what it's about. Uh, and, and certainly here on this show and on Forward Radio in general, I think what we try to do is is highlight what's great about 
taking action for sustainability and and whether it's individual action or political action or contacting your legislators or whatever it may be to help move us all forward it certainly is a process <laughs> there's right. many different aspects uh but yeah i'm i'm excited to hear some of your coverage about those issues of corporate responsibility and, and what government role can be uh, in sustainability for sure in our city. Uh, well, so, I mean, speaking of that, uh, you've been covering uh, some of the pollution that has been ongoing uh, in our waterways, especially our dear Beargrass Creek, or a much maligned urban waterway uh, that I live right next to, uh, as well as MSD's efforts and the city's efforts to uh, reduce the combined sewer overflow. So, so what have you found in this reporting so far? Well, I, I, I would say one of the first things I get to town, the first things uh, my editors are telling me and people in the community are telling me are look at our waterways. And uh, Beargrass Creek, like you mentioned, has a history of abuse uh, uh, going on 200 years of oh, yeah. just dumping anything we want in this <laughs> river. Um, our open sewer of yore, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and like I mentioned, uh, this is this is all connected, right? It goes into the Ohio, goes into the Mississippi. Um, so we, you know, being careful about what we put in there. And so there, it's MSD's work to prevent sewage overflows kind of creates this uh, opportunity to clean up Beargrass Creek because finally they've kind of, they think they've reined in the sewage overflow with this uh, tunnel underground that's going to capture some of the rainwater and wastewater. They've made room for that to go yes, that what, isn't into the, into the river. What is the progress on that great tunnel under, on, right under downtown, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's deep underground, and I'm told by uh, MSD that it's operational at this point. Oh, really? they, they've gotten it ready, um, and they're ready for the next rainfall, and, and they're going to see how it works. Oh, really? I didn't know it had fi finished yet. That's that's impressive, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people have seen the work on this at different places I can think of, like the Beargrass Greenway, uh, which I, I used to travel on regularly, really enjoy that greenway. It was all closed for many years as part of that big dig. Uh, and then on the other end, I know I've seen operations just off of uh, the Ohio River at, at uh, in Portland, in the Portland neighborhood too, right? Um, so it sounds like finally that's wrapping up and that's going to hold an incredible volume of uh, sewage. Is it sewage? Is it stormwater? It's combined, right? <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the issue that we've had historically is that when it rains too much, our sewers overflow because our wastewater and rainwater systems are one and the same. Right. And so the idea is if we have more room to put all of this combined sewage overflow, we don't have to let it overflow into the waterways. We can save it until after the storm right. to treat it. Yeah, yes. They, after the storm has passed, they, they send it to the normal treatment process, and it's just kind of about keeping it out of the river until they can treat it. Right, right. Because we were, as a city, pretty much forced by the EPA to tackle this issue, right? And that's why we've ended up investing, what was it, a, a billion dollars? Yeah, the MSD kind of came to an agreement with federal regulators uh, to make sure that Louisville's waterways were in accordance with the Clean Water Act um, with that consent decree, that federal de consent decree that came out to over a billion dollars. And wow. um, they, they think that they that will that will fix this problem for the most part. I think they're they're aiming... Right now, they're estimating that over 90% of our sewage overflows will now be captured, which wasn't the case, obviously, before all this. Over 90%. Okay. So still, there will be some extreme events that we can't control. <laughs> yeah, it could be more than their estimated figure. It could be less, yeah. uh, but, but they're, they're aiming to capture a vast majority. 
And this directly ties to climate change, right? Because as we see the climate changing, I mean, Louisville seems to be getting wetter and, and raining more and more intense storms. Right. Yeah. As, as climate change happens, you're going to get you're going to get crazier storms. And as you get that before all this, we would have gotten more and more sewage overflows, which worsens the state of Barragash Creek and our other waterways. Yeah. And so you, we've talked a lot about sort of the end of the pipe solution for this, which is just to hold the water temporarily until we can treat it. But there are before it gets into the pipe solutions as well that were funded not as intensely, but to some degree with this over a billion dollars. Uh, and what I'm talking about is diverting the stormwater from those sewer systems in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so U of L, I know, it was a, one of the first to that money drop to like tap into that by uh, because we had major flooding problems on campus as well. Uh, and we wanted to address this and get the stormwater going where it would naturally go, which is into the groundwater. Uh, it, so rather than funneling it through downspouts and, and sewer drains in our parking lots as quickly as possible into this same pipe with our sewage, we're instead diverting it to these stormwater infiltration basins, which are unfortunately invisible. So nobody can see that they're there and working, uh, but they are doing great job and we don't have these flooding issues on campus and we're not contributing anymore to this, I would say one of the two biggest environmental problems in our, in our city. Yeah, definitely. And tree planting was also part of this too. I know, I know lots of people got some MSD money to plant trees, which draw the water down as well and help divert it from the stormwater. So, uh, I mean, that, that seems to be a package of solutions that, like you say, might actually get a handle on this problem for us finally. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely not one solution. Uh, MSD has been working on a lot of stuff, I know. And uh, the, the, tree, the tree canopy initiatives in this town are definitely another angle. And there's definitely an environmental justice angle to the tree canopy thing it, it, it helps with flooding but it can also help with uh, urban heat island effect and carbon capture and things like that um, and I, I there are a lot of groups doing a lot of good work with tree canopy as well yeah and the the environmental justice issue is is key uh, and I want to talk more about that a little later in our conversation too but uh, we we know that the distribution of tree canopy in our city is is racial right mm-hmm. right uh, and, and that Yes, we've seen some recent efforts by the city, by volunteers, by Trees Louisville, by Louisville Groves, uh, to get more trees in the ground in some of these target areas. But it's going to take 20 or 30 years for those trees to mature. Right. Yeah. You got to plant the tree and then you got to take <laughs> care of the tree for all these years. And uh, somebody has to do that. The money has to come from somewhere. And you also have to make this case for why these trees are necessary. And in some cases, and this is something I've heard from academics I've talked to on the subject. In some cases, you're talking about planting trees as a solution in neighborhoods where there are really pressing issues like hunger and yeah. things, and you have to make this case. And it's kind of an environmental health literacy uh, thing where you're 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 trying to make this argument for how trees can be a solution. Where you're planting a tree, 30 years it might help this neighborhood, but this neighborhood might need help now. Yeah. You know, purchasing groceries and you know pressing issues like that as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm speaking today with the new environmental reporter for the Courier-Journal. Connor Giffen is here in studio with me on Sustainability Now. He's a core member with Report for America and just started here in Louisville on June 1st. We're so glad to have him here and to be picking his brain. And I know he wants to pick mine, too. Uh, so we, we could sort of transition over to, to that. I mean, I know you're interested in 
talking about the environmental landscape in town, who's doing what, environmental justice efforts and things like that. So what were some of the questions that popped into your mind? Yeah, I, I, you know, I really wanted to compare notes with you, Justin. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm about a month in here in Louisville in this position, a little over a month. And uh, it's, it can be overwhelming. There are so many groups doing so it many is. things. There's so many topics to pay attention to. Um, and I really want to hear from you, as I've been lucky to hear from our community, and what do you think has been missing from the paper? What do you think are some of these issues that aren't getting the attention they deserve? And who's doing something about those issues? Yeah. Well, that's great. Let's start there. Um, uh, you know, of course, we're trying to cover some of these holes in reporting here on Forward Radio. But if you're asking broadly about the media here in town, uh, my impression is that transportation issues, which are so pivotal to the shape of our city and the shape of us as individuals uh, is really defines, like concretizes literally uh, a lot of our future, our patterns of development. Uh, I would even say our, our racism and our relationship to one another gets set in concrete when we, when we pour concrete or asphalt, right? And create, new roadways or repave the existing ones or do planning, urban planning around a transportation system that I think is fundamentally broken. And people will certainly report on things like Spaghetti Junction, like the, 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 the Ohio River Bridges project, right? The millions of dollars that were invested in those recently. Uh, but I just feel like the reporting to some degree, but everybody's thinking about this is just a little lazy. I mean, intellectually lazy and physically lazy. <laughs> so I've been car free all my life. I, I made the decision at 15 to never get a driver's license. Uh, and that was really obviously change the way I view the world and I perceive a place like Louisville and I've lived in many different places and and lived this car-free life and seen the benefits of it and so moving to a place like Louisville back in 2009 and, and seeing how very car dependent we all are here in town uh, it was just kind of shocking to me uh, and I figured well there must be lots of people trying to address this, uh, but it doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> there are a few groups. Uh, I've been a part of Bicycling for Louisville, which has uh, recently become uh, Streets for People uh, that continues to work on these issues. There are certainly some folks in urban and public affairs at the University of Louisville who study these questions of urban livability and how it ties to transportation. Uh, there's the Coalition for the Advancement of Regional Transportation, which works on transit uh, issues like that. Uh, but it's not, I wouldn't say there's like a big, big critical mass. And a lot of the environmental groups uh, that I know of, um, like Proud Forward Radio Community's uh, partner, uh, the Sierra Club, uh, who when they advocate around transportation, it's sure they, they support transit and things like that, but they have a big push to support electrification of vehicles. Uh, and so I've had some interesting exchanges with those wonderful folks who I are, are really smart and good critical thinkers too, uh, who really feel like basically like the ship has sailed, uh, that it's too late to kind of change this car-based culture. And that instead of trying to change it, we need to invest in electrifying it. Yeah. And, and just today, Governor Bashir was having a press conference um, and he, he mentioned EVs and, and kind of this question of, is this where everyone's going? And if that's the case, you know, I guess <laughs> Kentucky's going there too. And um, EVs is a 
coverage area that I was invested in when I was reporting in Missouri. Okay. And it's definitely something I want to bring here. So, so EVs, does, does Kentucky have the infrastructure to support it? Um, are, are third parties going to invest in creating that infrastructure where there may or may not be interest in owning an EV? And yeah. it's kind of this chicken and egg issue in my mind where, well, we're not going to put EV charges here because no one owns an EV there. Right, and right. no one owns an EV there because there's nowhere to charge their EV. <laughs> and um, so, you know, kind of wrangling that question, which can be really difficult. And then you, you, you mentioned public transit as well. Um, there, there's so there's so many questions to to handle there, and that can take forever with you know just getting that through bureaucracy. Oh yeah. And do we go with buses? If we go with buses, do we use diesel, natural gas, electric? Who pays for that? You know, there's there's so many questions um, with public transit, especially in a city that isn't built for public transit. It's built for cars. Yeah, and that's that's the point, right? Like the we bought into cars so early and there's a huge story to that right it wasn't just like individuals wanting cars it was pushed by corporate interests uh, that then like bought all the trolley lines in town and <laughs> retired them right like that this has been a long story in america for sure with many different tentacles to it uh but it's the place we are now where uh, we have really invested in an infrastructure that assumes everybody has access to a vehicle. And that is inherently unjust because not everybody does. Uh, and it's our most impoverished and already oppressed people suffering from other issues of environmental injustice who tend to have the least access to a private automobile or a reliable one uh, or the ability to pay for parking or insurance or anything else that AAA says the average car owner in America is spending ten grand a year, and that was before gas prices shot up. So we'll have to see what the new data is, right? Uh, but yeah, especially with this uh, increase in the gas prices, which I think is long overdue, um, the the it's on a lot of people's minds about what what are we really invested in, and how can we make this work for everybody? Uh, and I always think too, not just about the poor. Uh, because, sure, there's plenty of those folks we need to be concerned about. But what about everybody else? What about those who are too young to drive? Too old or infirm or visual impaired issues, right? Handicapped of different kinds, right? Uh, what about people who choose not to drive, right? Like me, right? Uh, what about people who are otherwise impaired? We do a lot of bourbon drinking in Louisville. Should we have a private car-based transportation system for people who are going out drinking regularly? That doesn't make sense to me, right? So it seems like there's some injustice built in to the way we've designed the city, uh, and so the question for us now sort of is, well, do we throw in the towel and just, well, we're going to be driving these cars forever. So let's do the best we can and electrify them, which is not a solution because <laughs> not just to the urban and justice issues, the urban planning and justice issues, but because the, the way we're going to be powering them as lg &E has just admitted for many decades to come, is with fossil fuels. Right, yeah. A, a big majority uh, of lg &E's power sourcing is still coal. And sure, they've made their net zero 2050 uh, goal. And that even despite the Supreme Court's recent EPA ruling, they're still going for that 2050 goal. Um, that That's unchanged. But that's a long time from now. And uh, how we're going to power electric cars, um, if our entire grid is coal-fueled uh, is definitely a question. And you mentioned environmental justice in, in relation to electrification. 
if we rush into this EV transition while EVs are still so much more expensive on average than your right. gas-fueled uh, vehicle, uh, we're going to leave a lot of people behind yeah. who can't afford these EVs. So I think that's another angle of this we need to address if electrification is the route that we take as a state. Yeah, and if we're genuinely concerned about sustainability and not just concerned about the environment as some sort of standalone thing we could protect, but if we really care about sustainability, then we have to care not about how Elon Musk gets around. <laughs> it's not about the elites or the Tesla owners. It's about everybody. How does everybody get around? Uh, and if you really want electrification for vehicles, you got to think about how are those folks who couldn't possibly afford that uh, going to continue going to get around and I, you know I'll say I do think we need to electrify electrify some vehicles I think that's a good solution there are advantages to it certainly the lack of idling for one thing is huge and yeah internal combustion engines are not as efficient as powering it centrally I I get that uh, but I think those vehicles should be Things like buses, you mentioned that earlier, things like trains. We've got all these diesel freight trains idling by my house on East Broadway, right? <laughs> um, we've got planes, right, that are burning fossil fuels. We've got emergency vehicles. Oh, man, when those diesel fire engines or ambulances or police cars uh, speed by me or idle near my house or whatever, you can tell the impact on air quality. Uh, and I know that the city is planning to move away from fossil fuels as rapidly as it can and is thinking to some degree about its own vehicles, uh, some of those emergency vehicles I just mentioned. Um, and electrification may be a, a really good, at least temporary solution for those kinds of things and figuring out how to power that with the sun or hydropower or wind, I think is a really important project. But we're not even to the point yet of powering our stationary things with renewable energy. We're so far away from that. Uh, so that seems to me like a really long term. Now, maybe it'll move a lot faster than it has. We've seen prices of solar have gone down. We've seen the solar over Louisville project just really blossomed. So many people signing up for that. So it could accelerate, right? Right. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, there's all these renewable options that, that different groups are trying to kind of push into, in, into existence. But right now our energy mix, as you know, is, is it's, we've got this big chunk of coal. If you're looking at this, like a pie chart, our, our yeah. generation mix, uh, we, I mean, coal is a big chunk, and then natural gas is a, is a big chunk, yeah. but natural gas, of course, is not renewable. Natural gas, in most cases, is a fossil fuel. And when you look at our renewable sliver, our hydro, our solar, our wind, if, if Kentucky, Louisville and Kentucky specifically has very little wind, um, that's, that's a very, very tiny sliver of the pie right yeah. now, and that includes LG&E here in Louisville. Yeah. The other vehicle that's fun to think about electrifying is bicycles. Right. They electric electric bicycles have just also bloomed even locally here in Louisville, but all over the country. Uh, it seems like a lot of people may be finally deciding to leave their car at home because gas prices have gone up so high, and because they can now access a bike that has a boost. Uh, so. I don't know if you've seen any of these things zooming around town, but I keep noticing, oh, there's more and more two-wheeled 
vehicles on the roads. And I'm also kind of surprised as someone who's been here for, you know, a dozen years biking around these streets, you know what the usual count is right in, your, in your head. But now I'm seeing more and more and I'm, you know, looking over and, oh, that's an electric bike, right? Like people are finally getting there. But, you know, to me, as you know, that gets back to the whole laziness thing. Like, really, we couldn't. We couldn't do it under our own power. We have to wait until it's electrified in a flat city like Louisville. To start Not biking. to mention your bird scooters. Yeah, I live downtown. Oh, yeah. You get plenty of those. Yes. That's the other thing that's really boomed in the last few years is the electric scooters, right? Um, and I think those were sold to the city as a potential sustainable solution because it helps fix the quote unquote last mile problem of, well, I get a bus to some place, but then I've still got another mile to go to get there. And you can't expect most people to walk, especially in the heat or the cold of the winter. And so surely these scooters are going to help with that. I don't know that I've seen that. I haven't observed them being used that way very often. Uh, it, it seems like these days it's mostly like, kids out of school for the summer are just kind of screwing around on them. <laughs> yeah, I think more a source of entertainment, entertainment is the practical use these days. Maybe visitors from out of town mm -hmm. uh, who also tend to use our bike share system, Luvelo, as well. Uh, it does, you just don't see a lot of people like choosing that as a way to commute or to go multimodal with transit uh, or even other modes, right? And, and figure out a way to get around. Um, so yeah, I would love to see more coverage of transportation issues that really genuinely help fix our broken system. And of course, that's, that's very much tied to urban planning, dense development, walkable development. Um, we, we can't have a sustainable transportation solution in a city that is so spread out, in a city with so much vacant land and giant parking lots like we see all around this building, right, uh, that, that sort of create these big gaps in our urban infrastructure, which you don't see in other cities that have invested in that type of dense urban or transit-oriented development, uh, which I think has to be the future for a more sustainable Louisville. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, another thing that I think is really un underreported, we've talked about environmental justice, uh, and, and I really think that we need to acknowledge that you know, <laughs> we certainly in 2020, we saw the city acknowledge in many ways that racism is a problem. Uh, but I don't think a lot of people make the direct connection that racist attitudes are actually fueling climate change. And what I mean by that is it allows this sort of racist perspective allows our white leaders to ignore real transportation planning that serves those without cars as well as dense urban development and affordable housing. Another huge tie-in that maybe you wouldn't think is, is an environmental issue, but it is. It's all about a sustainable urban system that serves everybody equally instead of just continuing suburban sprawl, let white people live comfortably way out, you know, <laughs> on the Gene Snyder or something like that, uh, so they don't have to mix with those scary black people downtown. Uh, and that has sort of been the attitude in Louisville and it's very sad to see and of course from a social perspective or a justice perspective we feel very disappointed about that but I think as from a climate and an environment perspective we need to make the connection directly and see that the only reason we have these development patterns that make our lives unsustainable and the only reason we have things like rubber town in the west end is because we're willing to create sacrifice zones uh, you know, places where we just sort of write off. Well, it's too bad for the people who live there, but for the sake of 
I don't know what quote unquote progress. We're just going to have to have these places where where environmental justice exists. And I think that that needs to be directly addressed and tackled head on. Right. And and so you mentioned, I mean, this is in Louisville, but in Louisville, it's a product of redlining and segregation. This is a historical systemic uh, result. And because of that, you can trace the exact same problems uh, representative, maybe a little differently in cities all over this country. And, um, that, that's another thing in the Mississippi river basin, uh, regional collaborative we're looking at is these are issues that we know exist in every city. They exist in our cities that we're covering. How can we connect these issues and help people kind of see, uh, based on the facts and based on the data that we can access, how everything is connected, how these same problems are happening, and how they're representative in different communities. Um, it's represented in Louisville, like you mentioned, Rubbertown, these fence line communities, yeah. where in many cases, the only thing between these people's homes <laughs> and this gigantic link. plant is a chain link fence, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, th- yeah, that's definitely something where I want to incorporate that lens into my reporting, and I, I think that's a common uh, perspective for my fellow reporters on the desk. We're speaking today here on Sustainability Now with Connor Giffen. He's the new environmental reporter for the Courier Journal and a Report for America Corps member. He's also picking my brain today since he's new to town, just started June 1st, uh, and talking about some of the underreported sustainability issues in our community. Another one that has come up a lot uh, here in on Ford Radio, um, and I don't know if it's getting enough mainstream coverage, is uh, the land development code reform process that is undergoing and the ties to access to this vacant land that I've already referenced. There are a lot of people of lesser means or different interests than your traditional developers uh, who would love to get access to the vacant lands in Louisville, whether it's for affordable housing or urban agriculture or small businesses that people want to start up. And that process of land development code reform, which is basically our, our zoning rules for Louisville, which have defined a lot of these unsustainable development patterns in the past, I think the city is trying to make a genuine effort to reform that for the better and get public input on it. It's an ongoing process right now, but it feels a little disconnected from the, the sustained Louisville plan. And I don't know if you've had any chance to look into the zoning issues or, or the, how they connect to the plan. But to me, that just feels like something that we're not connecting the dots on quite yet. Yeah. The land development code and our environmental issues and our housing issues, which of course, like you mentioned, are always related to our environmental issues. Um, are, are really connected. And I mean, you, you have this land development code, I think Louisville's is over 800 pages, mm. and it's, it lays out all of these specific things. Um, I'm doing some reporting on over in, on the east side with Floyd's Fork and some of the development code issues there and um, how these residents are kind of concerned with uh, flooding and what happens if we develop all up and down this uh, valuable yeah. natural resource and are we going to turn this into what Beargrass Creek uh, was, <laughs> right. right? Are we going to channelize this and, and have all these impervious surfaces that, that kind of damage this uh, natural resource? Um, so it's really clear that the land development code is something that needs to be considered with these environmental problems. Yeah. Another thing that I think has gone on report, very different, we'll change gears, shift gears a little here. It, it just feels like the mainstream media doesn't really talk about just basic natural history and environmental education in Louisville. I feel like the average citizen in Louisville 
would really struggle to name a local species (laughs) or identify one or understand urban wildlife beyond maybe a few commonly seen things like that squirrel in their backyard or that robin they see. Uh, There's a lot more to it. There's migratory species. We're in a really important migratory corridor, and that traces all the way back to the history of why Louisville is where it is, the only place on the Ohio River where people had to get out of the boats and do a portage around the falls of the Ohio, uh, which is no longer a falls. So it's dammed up. So a lot of people don't understand unless you go over to Southern Indiana and check out that wonderful falls of the Ohio state park, you might not have a vision of what that was like and how much it impacted wildlife. And the fact that we are on this Buffalo trace which people think of as a bourbon, but it's it's an actual trail that Buffalo used to migrate uh, between uh, areas of grazing, right? Uh, and and I feel like we're kind of missing out on an opportunity to really understand wildlife, uh, the the reasons to protect them and why we value them, and then threats to them too. Uh, I don't know how much coverage there's there's been of invasive species. Yeah, invasive species is definitely part of of my coverage area. I mentioned it in Beargrass Creek, but you mentioned the word natural history. And I think journalists, uh, myself included, are guilty of this <laughs> this scary term history, right? right? It's, is it new? No. All right. Then why am I, you know, well, think, I, I don't cover so, it. you know, maybe, maybe a species joins the federally listed endangered oh species list. That's news. That's just happening yeah, now. Yeah. And so I'm going to write a story about that. But what about the, the species that aren't on that list yeah. and nobody knows about? And yeah. without, without kind of raising awareness for species that maybe are headed in that direction, but aren't there yet, we can keep them from ever being listed in the first place, right? So coverage coverage of species and uh, their threats, which of course includes invasive species, uh, I think is important and kind of considering the broader context of this is the land we're on, here's what's here, here's what is new and what's old, and um, kind of historically contextualizing uh, uh, nature and the species that are native to Louisville and those that aren't. And our interdependence right. with those species and the the import, it's so hard for urban dwellers to get wrap their minds around this. But yes, you are a natural being. You are a part of nature. You are a part of an ecosystem, which we must continue to keep functioning or we're all going to die. Right? It, it's, there is no sterile environment uh, in, in our world. We are all part of interacting with other species and dependent upon them. And that is a difficult thing to cover because of what you said. Like it's not doesn't seem newsworthy but there was one piece of news recently i don't know if you saw this but that a new invasive species was identified recently in louisville uh data collected through the recent uh citizen science bioblitz on iNaturalist uh helped the kentucky energy and environment cabinet uh discover a new invasive aquatic plant did you hear about this i did not okay it's it's in kentucky now and it's called it's known as the java water dropwort or it's also known as water celery and so far it seems to have it's not edible established (laughs) in a few locations in the louisville area including the parklands and in cherokee park uh, it's it's a fairly new invasive species in North America, uh, and the thing to know about it is that it most resembles 
a native species called water hemlock. And that's a relatively common wetland species in Kentucky. And it happens to be one of the most lethally toxic plants in North America, right? So this is... This is a cool native species, but you don't want to mess with it. Uh, and so to avoid exposure to the wrong plant, if you're like concerned about, oh, I got to keep this Java water drop word out of our na- native systems, uh, the Kentucky Energy and Environment Cabinet has encouraged people not to try to remove the plant themselves, uh, but to let the cabinet know if they believe they've identified it. Uh, See, maybe maybe a key to to making people more aware of the danger of invasive species is not giving them names like water celery yeah. or something. You know, I, I want to go find some water yeah, celery hey, with a name tasty. like that. <laughs> we all have to refer to it by the Latin name, right? Right. I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. I didn't take Latin, uh, but yeah. So I've, this touches back directly to people in the public, our citizens who are listening right now, who we're trying to engage through things like citizen science, uh, so that they can get engaged in learning about what belongs here, what doesn't, what what these species are, how they interact, uh, and how they help sustain us. I just I just think that's a really important thing to... So look for that angle in your coverage. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, and not just native wildlife, but what about the indigenous people's of our region. Again, I think we ignore this amazing, rich heritage and current issues simply out of racism. We just sort of erase these people from our minds and our history. But who was displaced from these lands and what could we learn from them about living more sustainably here? Uh, and not not to sort of say that, you know, everything Native peoples did was the best, you know, we all need to... But they had a rich heritage here that has been erased, and and that can't be ignored. And who are these people today, and what are their ongoing struggles? Where have they been displaced to? Uh, there's sort of this common myth. When I, when I first moved to Kentucky, I started hearing people say this, that, oh, there weren't actually any or that many Native peoples in Kentucky. It was just a hunting grounds. But that's just a story we tell ourselves to, to sort of whitewash the displacement and the racism of the past. And this, I mean, is a form of investigative reporting, I guess, to find out these stories and share them uh, and have these voices that we might have think of as just being from the past, but could be from the present, right, um, inform the way we go forward today. So I think that's another important one. And I'll just end by tying that right in to the whole issue of reparations, uh, both for indigenous peoples, but also for the black communities in Louisville who have been oppressed for so long and continue to suffer from environmental justice. And uh, I, I think it's just an issue we don't feel comfortable because it's too complicated or we sort of write it off as like, well, my family didn't own slaves or <laughs> didn't displace indigenous people. Uh, but of course, we all know that it doesn't have to be just you. This is a societal problem and in an ongoing societal injustice uh, that if we don't fix, if we don't address reparations, we're going to continue to see marginalization of these peoples. Right. And, and, and like we said, uh, 
redlining and segregation, that's an environmental factor uh, for environmental injustice. And uh, indigenous folks, uh, they were the original stewards of this land. And they, if we take the timeline of the land that we're reporting on uh, as journalists and are, are looking for the full story, they are a part of that. And they're, yeah. they're the first chapter of that, of that uh, land stewardship that we are aware of. Uh, and so th- both of those uh, things are, are factors in environmental reporting. Well, that's awesome. That's all I have for you right now in terms of what I think is underreported, Connor. But um, I do want to let the public know that you also can weigh in on what's underreported because there's an exciting new initiative that the Courier Journal is partnering with our Louisville Free Public Libraries to bring mobile newsrooms out into communities. And it just started July 5th. Uh, Tell us about this program. Yeah, the the Courier Journal is doing this amazing program. Um, we, we know that our product, our, our paper and our work is not equally accessible to everyone in Louisville. Um, and so we've, we've started this uh, program that we're calling Mobile Newsrooms. Um, and the goal of Mobile Newsrooms is to improve our coverage of diverse communities Yay. in the Louisville area by listening to residents and building relationships and sources in places where we might not always be and kind of increase our understanding of these neighborhoods and issues that we're supposed to be covering and uh, that we want to do a better job of. Um, And so these mobile newsrooms are going to rotate each month to a different community. Uh, At least two staff members are going to spend a month in these communities talking with residents and leaders and business people and writing stories and creating content in these neighborhoods. Um, And reporters on staff will rotate in and out for a week or a few days. Um, Maybe our food reporter will rotate in for a few days to work on a story about local restaurants. Or we'll have our business and development reporter rotate and write about a new development or housing in the area. Nice. Um, And so we're starting off right now. We're in Shively. Uh, We're there till July 29th. And Tuesday, uh, July 12th at 630, we're having a meet the editors night uh, there at, at the library. Um, where you can kind of talk to the folks at the Career Journal, these excellent journalists who are really responsible for deciding what goes in this paper and, yeah. and kind of and sculpting that coverage. Um, and our next stop is going to be the Russell neighborhood. Um, and so we're excited for that. I might uh, personally be there. Um, there's a long history of environmental problems uh, exactly. in that, in that uh, part of town. Um, and so uh, we, we kind of chose these communities based on zip code data, looking for underserved communities and uh, looking for areas where we have fewer subscribers and also looking at census data to see which neighborhoods are more diverse and typically have been up unrepresented in our uh, media coverage or maybe underrepresented. Wow. So people can look for the Courier Journal's mobile newsrooms on weekdays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. at, at a series of libraries. I'm going to give you the schedule because I'm so excited about this. As you mentioned, they're at the Shively Library here in July through the 29th with the Meet the Editors Night coming up this Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Then in August... The mobile newsroom will be moving to the Western Library in the Russell neighborhood through August 26th, 1st through 26th. Then in September, it'll be at the South Central Regional Library, September 6th through 30th. The Newburgh Library, October 3rd through 28th. And it wraps up in November at the Iroquois Library, the 1st through the 18th. So it'll all be wrapped up by Thanksgiving. What a cool, cool thing. Yeah, I'm excited about it. <laughs> uh, we've got great people working on that, and uh, it's it's I think a great program by our, our engagement side of things, trying to trying to do a better job there. 
So people could go online to find out more information about this. I imagine you can find it at lfpl.org. But does the Courier-Journal also have the schedule and information online? Yeah, if you go to, I think it's career-journal.com. Um, we've had we've had pieces. We've already started our reporting uh, over in Shively. Oh, nice. And uh, our, our, our editorial staff has also um, been kind of writing about it, trying to uh, kind of explain why we are here and what we're doing. Well, this is so great. What a great initiative. Well-timed with your arrival here in Louisville. Connor Giffen's been my guest, the new Courier-Journal environmental reporter. Thank you so much for taking the time today to sit down with me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Okay, great. Good luck with your ongoing reporting, and maybe I'll have you back in when you've got a, a new story to tell. Uh, it'll be great to see you again. <laughs> All right, stay tuned, everybody. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar. All kinds of ideas for how you can get engaged in sustainability this week. So get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friends, and stay tuned. back here on sustainability now with me justin mogg hope you've got your pencils sharpened and your calendars out and ready to take action for sustainability this week well the first thing i want to let you know about friends is that there is a brand new library in town for you to support and patronize an unusual library it's the louisville tool library over on logan street in shelby park at its grand opening on july 1st a community-based non-profit lending library dedicated to accessibility of resources waste reduction and growth through education it operates similar to a traditional book-filled library wherein members of the louisville tool library are able to borrow household items such as gardening gear sewing machines drills painting supplies shovels and so much more. You can learn more about the library and how to support it with your donations of tools, funding, or volunteer time at louisvilletoollibrary.com. All right, coming up this week on Tuesday, July 12th at 8 p.m., it's the next in the streets for people car-free happy hour series this month taking place at atrium brewing speaking of logan street it's over there at 1154 logan street streets for people is hosting these monthly casual meetups at various establishments around town on the second tuesday of every month at 8 p.m there's uh, no agenda we're just getting together to get to know one another and build the car-free urbanist community that is necessary if we want to reclaim our streets from the violent tyranny of the private automobile. If you're interested and just want to learn more, go to twitter.com slash streets, the number four peeps, or just show up at 8 p.m. on Tuesday at Atrium Brewing. Big news announced recently, the solar over Louisville deadline has been extended. Louisville Metro Government and the Louisville Sustainability Council have extended the enrollment deadline for the solar over Louisville program. This is a program to help you get solar on your roof without having to go through the process of 
Oh, getting multiple quotes and vetting the installer, making sure they're in properly insured and not going to rip you off and all that. It's all been taking care of you and you get a discount as well. Well, the program has been extended through August 14th. To date, there's been over a thousand participants who've signed up to express interest in going solar and already 45 have signed contracts. And that includes five low to moderate income households through the solar grant program that's also available. And a handful of installs have already been completed. You can join your neighbors in saving on energy costs, supporting local solar jobs, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and helping Louisville reach our 100% clean energy goal. Learn more and sign up at for Solar Over Louisville at 100percentlu.com slash 2040. That's the numbers 100% spelled out lou.com slash 2040. And you can also register for the next virtual Solar Over Louisville workshop if you just want to learn more about this. It's coming up on Thursday, July 14th at 7 p.m. online. And you can also stop in for the next in-person Solar Over Louisville workshop workshop event, which will be held in partnership with Green Drinks on Wednesday, July 20th at 6 p.m. And you can get your property screened and enrolled on the spot. The location for that will also be announced at 100percentlu.com slash 2040. Now, Bernheim is doing an exciting Summer's Savor the Season series out at their Arboretum and Research Forest, just south of us here in Louisville. And it's guaranteed to make your summer fun, positive, and fresh. The series will help us see our own familiar yards in a different light and ask ourselves questions like, how can I help my yard feed local wildlife and also reduce my grocery and water bills? What are the climate-friendly choices I can make when I go to a nursery? Well, the first in the series is coming up Friday, July 17th at noon. It's online. It's Bernheim's Edible Garden, Sustainable Solutions for You to Try at Home, a Zoom presentation by their Director of Education, Kristen Forrest. The Edible Garden at Bernheim is a living classroom designed to help people understand Bernheim's research mission. It's 2,000 square feet of raised beds, produces more than 3,500 pounds of fresh produce per growing season. You can get inspiration from the Edible Garden garden to cut your own grocery bill, boost biodiversity, and enhance your yard's beauty with food this Friday at noon. Learn more about the entire series, which continues through the end of August, and sign up at bernheim.org. Advanced registration is required. Also coming up on Friday, July 15th at 7 p.m., it's Turtle Yoga. Turtle Yoga, my friends. I've heard of goat yoga. I've never heard of turtle yoga. Flow then slow. Happening on Friday at 7 p.m. out in Mount Washington. Unfortunately, it's way to hell. But if you live out near Mount Washington, it'll be at 487 Gentry Lane. You can join yoga instructor Tavi Tichinor for an hour-long session of yoga that is a fundraiser to benefit Second Chances Wildlife Centers, Wildlife Rehab, and environmental education programs. This session will be 50% vinyasa and 50% restorative. Friendly ambassador, animal ambassador Apache, the rescued and very social Sulcata Tortoise, will join the class wandering among the guests. Tickets are $15, and again, it's a fundraiser for wildlife rehabilitation and environmental education. You'll need to bring your own yoga mat. It's for people 16 and over for 
more information, check the community calendar at louisvillesustainabilitycouncil.org. We're coming out on Friday at 7 p.m., 487 Gentry Lane in Mount Washington. Now, there are several July volunteer opportunities with Trees Louisville. The MSD Urban Reforestation Grant is also now accepting applications through August 1st, and anyone looking to complete a tree planting project in their neighborhood large piece of property or business may want to consider applying. Uh, so you can learn more about that at louisvillemsd.org slash trees. But these volunteer opportunities that Trees Louisville wants you to know about are coming up this Saturday, July 16th at Breckenridge Franklin Elementary. Well, they will be pruning 51 trees. They need about two or three volunteers to help with that. Uh, 9 a.m. on Saturday, July 16th. And there are volunteer needs continuing through the end of the month as well. You can learn more about that at treeslouisville.org. Now, coming up on Saturday, July 16th at 10 a.m., there is a free virtual workshop on gathering data on environmental concerns. It's the second session of the Kentucky Resources Council's Kentucky Environmental Leadership Institute, and it's featuring Lauren Heberly and Larry Taylor. Dr. Heberly is the director of the Center for Environmental Policy and Management at UofL and is an associate professor of sociology. She's also the lead investigator for the Community Engagement of the U of L Superfund Research Center. She teaches environmental and social policy courses in urban sociology, and she will be discussing the climate and economic justice screening tool created by the U.S. Council on Environmental Quality under President Biden's executive order to be an accountability tool for federal agencies now required to prioritize 40% of investments in climate change, clean energy, energy efficiency, clean transit, affordable and sustainable housing, training and workforce development, the remediation of legacy pollution, and the development of critical clean water infrastructure, devoting, prioritizing 40% of investments and all that to areas defined in the tool as disadvantaged. Larry Taylor is the executive advisor in the Energy and Environment Cabinet's Office of Legislative and Intergovernmental Affairs, and he served as Toxic Release Inventory Coordinator, Environmental Justice Coordinator, Quality Assurance Manager, and Departmental Legislative Contact. Larry will provide the Toxic Release Inventory, uh, will profile it, a helpful tool for identifying the chemicals and amounts found at facilities across the United States. They'll re they will review using the database to learn about facilities and trends in our Commonwealth. You can find out more information and the link to register at kyrc.org. And again, it's this Saturday at 10 a.m., a free virtual workshop. Finally, also Saturday at 10 a.m. in person, there's another pop-up drop-off free recycling event for residents of Jefferson County taking place on Saturday, July 16th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. out at Shawnee Park at Southwestern Parkway and River Park Drive. They'll be accepting up to three electronic items for recycling, metal and appliances, uh, or uh, but no refrigerators or any items containing coolant, but other metal and appliances will be recycled. They can recycle up to four passenger tires, uh, household recyclables following the usual curbside rules. There'll be composting available for yard waste following curbside rules as well 
as wooden pallets. If you've got any scrap wooden pallets you want composted, and they'll be offering shredding for documents uh, to be recycled as well, and proper disposal of prescription medication. It's all this Saturday at 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. out at Shawnee Parking. Get more information at louisvilleky.gov recycling. Hey, that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. So glad you tuned in with us, and I'll be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Thank you.